The Winding Stairs, Episode 4, Veiled in Allegory. You have arrived at The Winding Stairs, a program dedicated to Masonic education and the art of self-improvement. I am your host, Juan Sepulveda, a professional artist and master mason, 32nd degree of the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite in Freemasonry. Welcome once again to The Winding Stairs. Thank you for joining me on this episode four of this program, and I thank you once again for joining me because it is truly a pleasure for me to to produce this program and do the research necessary in order to bring content that is of value to you. But not only is it of value, uh, I hope, to people that are listening, but it really is of benefit to myself as I continue to research topics that that have the potential of helping me improve myself as a as an individual. If you find any benefit from this program, if there are things that you that you find in this in this show that are of benefit to you or that you can think of your brothers receiving a benefit from it, please share it with them. Help me spread the word about the program, share it with your brothers at lodge or perhaps on your uh, social media networks. Let them know that we are here and recording regularly. I want to to thank you for your patience in waiting for episode four. I had gotten in a rhythm of doing a weekly podcast, uh, but unfortunately, it has been a little bit difficult for me to to keep that consistency of a weekly program. I I think that for the moment being, perhaps for the next month or two, every other week is something that's a little bit more attainable, and that way. I am able to to produce something that's of good quality, and I'm not just rushing to put something out for your enjoyment. On this episode, here are some of the topics that you will be listening to. First, I want to introduce two new segments to the program. One of them is Masonic History, where I find topics of interest regarding the history of Freemasonry or events in history that have some link with Freemasonry. I hope that you find these interesting. Also, a brand new segment, and this one is by our new contributor, Robert Johnson. Brother Robert Johnson has a podcast of his own, very successful program called Whence Came You, and I am honored that he has accepted my invitation to be a contributor to the program. He has a very unique perspective, and he is well-educated in, in Freemasonry and is constantly improving his Masonic education, which I think is, is very, very admirable. And we thank Brother Johnson for contributing. He will be periodically contributing a segment called Masonic Conspiracies. If you're a listener of his show, you are probably familiar with it, and he will be sharing some Masonic Conspiracies through the Winding Stairs. We thank Brother Johnson for participating in our program. Also, today's main topic is veiled in allegory. You're familiar that Freemasonry is veiled in allegory. The The teaching tool of allegory is used quite effectively in conveying the, the science of Freemasonry. 
So if any of this sounds interesting to you, please stick around, listen to the program in its entirety. I hope that you enjoy it and derive great benefit from it. Before I proceed to the main content of the program, I first want to give back, as I always do in the program. I want to start by thanking some brothers who have contributed to the program in one way or another. Among these brothers is Jason Zimmerman from Illuminate Earth Corporation, BJ Devereaux, Alex Toey, and Oliver Page for their contribution in the research regarding Veiled in Allegory. Thank you very much for participating. Uh, these brothers have have commented on Facebook or uh, sent email or participated in one way or another, but that is how we continue to, to grow the the depth of the information that we provide through The Winding Stairs. So make sure to visit our website, thewindingstairs.com, where you can find all the blog posts, podcast episodes, as well as different resources for your growth in in your self-improvement. If you are on any of the social media uh, outlets like Facebook, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Masonic Fundraiser. We're also on Twitter at WindingStairs33. I also want to thank those brothers who have posted links to the show on their Lodge's website and Facebook pages or have shared it through through Twitter. Thank you so very much for spreading the word about this program. It's definitely for, very fulfilling to, to see that other people are enjoying what you produce. A way in which the program becomes more beneficial, if you share your thoughts with us through any of these communication channels, let me know what you are interested in learning about Freemasonry. Are there any topics in particular that you want to to discuss or you want further exploration in? This definitely helps us find and share information about topics that you are interested in, making our program more relevant to you. And now to a topic of which there is plenty of material to cover. I am proud to present to you this first installment of a segment that hopefully we can replicate many times for your enjoyment. Masonic Conspiracies by Brother Robert Johnson from Whence Came You Podcast. This week is a tale of insanity at maybe not the top level, but perhaps close to it. According to a website, there is a connection between Mormons, the Freemasons, and aliens. Basically, and this is paraphrased, many founders of religions were 33rd degree Masons, including Joseph Smith. Next, it makes a claim that Jesuits and regular Masons founded the Scottish Rite, and that the place this happened was at the Parisian College of Claremont. Dr. Coleman states that 13 Maltese Jesuits, 13 Wicca Masons, and 13 Black Nobility members make up the 39 members of the Bilderberg Group, ultimately controlled by the Bavarian Illuminati through the Scottish Rite. The Master Mason John C. Bennett convinced Smith to sell out the Masonic Lodge, the Scottish Rite, and Bennett worked to establish an order of Illuminati within Mormonism. According to Klaus Hansen's book, Quest for Empire, Mormonism became a hybrid religion between Christianity, worship of the Lamb, and the Gnostic Scottish Rite, worship of the Serpent. Next, it asserts that the Mormons are in cahoots with the CIA, and that the Salt Flats out in Utah 
where they build hospitals is actually where they contact aliens using Masonic knowledge and once contacted they help the aliens get acclimated to human life by employing them at any number of secret laboratories that the Mormons run out in the deserts of Utah. This information concerns a giant cavern beneath a Salt Lake City and the Wasatch Mountain Range. It goes north to Idaho and south clear down past the Arizona line with offshoots west into Nevada and east into Colorado. This cavern has been common knowledge for over 120 years. Many cases over the years have appeared in the newspapers of people and groups of people going into the cavern but never coming out. Several who did find their way out were hopelessly insane. At least, that's what the newspapers said about them. This has been your Masonic Conspiracy with Robert Johnson. You can listen to Brother Robert Johnson on his weekly podcast, Whence Came You? Visit wcypodcast.com for more information. On the Masonic History segment, I have a story that it's very appropriate for today's theme, Veiled in Allegory, uh, and you will see why at the end of this of the story. I came across this while searching for Masonic news, and I I was very, very excited to find this because it's a story that I had never heard before. It's something that shows the value that we place on the symbols of our fraternity and the power that brotherhood can have in the midst of things that are of a, of a negative nature like, for example, war. This dates back to the year 1864. In America, we were going through the Civil War, as many of of you know, and this happened in the county of Brunswick, Virginia. On May 15, 1864, Union troops were approaching the courthouse and the clerk of the court, when receiving these uh, dreadful news, became very concerned. Because the Union had a preceding reputation uh, when it came to, to their approach to, to opposing counties, that they would not only cut communications for the Confederacy, but they would destroy bridges, and oftentimes they would go into courthouses and destroy documents. Um, this is something, of course, if if you are committed to your job and your job is to preserve the the documents of your county, he instantly began to figure out how he was going to be able to save the history of the county. Well, the way that he did it, considering that he had very little options for defense, was very unorthodox. It was very unique, and I am glad that that I came across this because it shows the power of a symbol. And the symbol is the apron, the lambskin, the Masonic apron that he owned. He placed it on top of the pile of documents that he was trying to save in hopes that the officer from the incoming uh, group of soldiers was a mason he knew that it was not uncommon for leaders of for military leaders to to have a masonic affiliation of some sort so his hope was that the officer leading this this group of men was a mason or at least that one of them one of the troops was 
a mason. And it seems like one of them was, because after the the troops went through the courthouse, a man rode his horse to the house of the the clerk of the courts. His name is Edward Randolph Turnbull. He rode to his house and handed him the apron. The letters that document this event are not very clear. If this man that rode with the apron to to the house of uh, Brother Turnbull was a Union member or a Confederate troop, but regardless, this is a this is, it shows the respect that people had for the symbol of our fraternity. When the clerk of the court re- returned back to his office, he found an office that yes was ransacked and yes there was damage to it but the troops respected the documents that were on the table they were not harmed so even though other things were destroyed the documents on the table were spared because they were veiled by the masonic apron isn't that a incredible story i think that was fantastic and i will include a link to the to the original news article uh that details this this event and the article dates march 19 2013 it was written by bill loman from the richmond times dispatch i will include links at thewindingstairs.com forward slash zero zero four and now to the main topic Veiled in allegory. The the research behind this segment of the of the program was very very enlightening, very enjoyable. Uh, it took me through several steps of what we know as the winding stairs because I covered I covered grammar, I covered many steps that are of course uh, very interesting to me. But I when I started my research. I took a phrase that I particularly enjoy, and it's a description that I have read about Freemasonry in general, and it is a science of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. I've always expressed how much I like this expression because it's very simple, very concise, the precision with which it it explains the complexity of our craft. Uh, there's there's an elegance to it. There's an elegance that mimics the way that that we that we labor, the way in which we take light and we're able to convey it to to our brothers from generation to generation. So let's look at that expression more in detail. A science of morality. Well if we look at you know what is actual what 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 do we refer to as science well science is the the root of the word science is scientia in latin representing to know or knowledge when you get to know something it is because you are exposed to it or you are becoming engrossed in the study of something so you get to know morality so the effort of Freemasonry or part of the effort of, of Freemasonry is to help the individual to get to know 
or become familiar with morality. Now, the second portion of that phrase that I like is veiled in allegory. Now, what's the purpose, first of all, of, of learning morality? As, as men and masons, we can definitely derive a, a privilege or a benefit of becoming more in tune with what morality is. And regardless of what the root of your concept of morality is, whether it's your uh, familiar upbringing or the religion that, that you follow or the teachings from the people that have surrounded you, morality for for the most part is something that is um that's a given and this is it's very difficult to explain and philosophers have spent their entire lives uh wrapping their heads around what morality is and how do you attain morality and how do you convey the importance and the actual science of morality but there are many common threads between different religions and different cultures that point back to almost a a natural or original uh, way of of behaving. Yeah, morality is is that thing that's going to guide an individual to have a compass or make a good decision of what is right and what is wrong. There are things that are very clear to us um, as we grow up, whether they're good or bad. Others, they they can be tricky to to really understand whether it's moral or not to do. And and some people might argue that this is not the case. Some people might argue that you know people are inherently uh, moral and they will be able to easily identify something as moral or immoral. And without getting deep into it, if you follow history and you have looked at uh, what politics gets involved with, to some people, some of the things that are done through through politics and political leaders do are completely immoral. While other people might look at those and have a different point of view, and they might think, no, it is not necessarily immoral. Uh, when the the well-being of others is being taken into account. So th- that's very murky waters. It's not necessarily the, the subject that we're going to discuss now. Perhaps we can uh, get deeper into it on a future episode. But the thing is that this morality that is innate in us uh, needs to be fostered one way or another. And by being an active member of society, being an active participant in your own uh, particular culture, or if there is, if you're part of a religion and it has uh, a code of morality, it it is to your benefit as a Mason to to get in tune with all of those uh, basic definitions of what morality is. As Masons, we sit in lodge, and ideally, we are able to get out of our meetings. Uh, a better a better understanding of what morality really is and what specific components of morality or what building blocks of morality we are going to uh, incorporate efficiently into the building of our temple. So 
that's the effort of, of our fraternity. And that's a beautiful thing when you're able to sit among other uh, people that come from different and very uh, distinct backgrounds, but we're able to sit down in agreement and and try to understand what what components of morality or you know what building blocks of life uh, we are going to to work on. And it, going back to the founding allegory of of Freemasonry, these building blocks are not going to be perfect from the get-go. From the very beginning in which we are introduced to different uh, components of morality or different virtues, these are not going to be perfect in our lives. And that's okay. That's part of our journey in Freemasonry is to become better men. How do we become better men? The rough ashlar of this virtue or another virtue is going to be perfected through our labor. And if you have ever seen anybody actually work um, with a mallet and a chisel trying to perfect uh, a stone, you, you will see that it takes many, many strikes in order to perfect an ashlar that is not perfect. Of course, it, with modern technology, the the whole dynamic of perfecting a stone it's a very different uh, it's a very different thing. It's more precise, and there's uh, very very precise tools that are used for this. But that allegory that it takes little improvements on that rock or, or that stone in order to make it fit into the into the complexity of the building. So, continuing with the with the symbolism of what veiling things in allegory actually means, I also wanted to go to the root of the word veil. And there are many versions of what veil is. I, as a professional artist, I know what, well, to me, unveiling means something completely different that than it does for another person. <clears throat> so, unveiling, well, let's, let's go back to the word veil. According to Etymology Dictionary Online, for which I will include a link on the, on the show notes, late 14th century word from Old French veler, or volar, from the Latin velare, to cover, veil, from the word vellum. It's a figurative sense of to conceal. That certainly means something to us. To uh, to cover something. So when you look at the different ways in which we define veil, like I told you, as an artist, I unveil a painting. I reveal it to people. If I have an exhibition and I have a brand new painting that I'm going to uh, I'm going to reveal to to an audience uh, one typical way that you can uh, think of this. The painting is on an easel. It's on an easel, and it's covered with a black veil. W- what is that? What is the purpose that, of that veil? Is to show people the painting at the right moment, not before or after, at the precise moment in which everybody is ready to receive the information that's that is depicted on that canvas, 
then it becomes unveiled. Now, if you compare that to uh, revealing the truths of morality or, or virtue to an individual, that person needs to be prepared to receive that information. So there has to be a foundation upon which you're going to continue to build forward. So if you if you look at, at another version of veil, some of you might have thought of a wedding veil. What does the the, the symbolism of the wedding veil uh, is is unique? It's almost you're not completely covering the face of the bride before being presented to to the husband at the altar. There is uh, still the the husband or the or the bride uh, the husband to be. He can see some of the features of this bride, but it's somewhat obscured by the veil. Comparing that to our our growth as um, individuals. We have an idea of what morality is or what virtues, specific virtues are. Therefore, when the moment is right, these truths are going to be revealed to each individual. Why should we veil morality? Why should these concept, concepts be veiled? And, of course, people that are suspicious of our fraternity, that's going to be a very strong question that they might have. If these things that you practice are so good and so well-intentioned, why are you hiding them behind a veil? Why are they hidden in allegory? Why the, the cryptic symbolism? And the way that I look at it is not, it's not as much as covering completely or concealing it completely. The veil of the allegory, it's a tool upon which we can have more efficiency in the delivery of the information. If you think back through history at some of the most efficient teachers or some of the people that really have made an impact in society, many of them were very able and very capable of delivering a message through allegory. Of course, on the top of my head, uh, I'm going to think about Jesus. If you look through the, through the scriptures and you read the way in which this man was able to convey his point of view and his message to people was through allegory. What's the efficiency of uh, the allegory as presented by these stories, the way our brain is configured, if you want to think about it, uh, comparing it to a computer, the programming in our brain, the way that it works, it creates a network of information. So you can't think of the brain storing information as you think of a cabinet that has drawers in which you file things under certain letters, maybe alphabetically, or that's not necessarily the way our brain stores information. The efficiency of our brain comes from the interconnectivity of information. It's almost like a like the weaving 
of a fabric. And here comes another comparison with what veiling is. This weaving of information where one thing is connected to another, the more connections from one concept to another, the easier it is for your brain to retrieve information. I will give you specifics uh, that I found regarding this, uh, especially according to an article by Dr. Judy Willis, MD. This was published January 18, 2012 in Psychology Today. And it talked about how children can boost their success in taking tests when they are taught in a strategic way, which is consistent with the allegory and comparison. What happens is that this pattern that's created or the weaving of one information with another inside of our brain works like a, almost like a computer network where it's not just a straight line between one computer to another. There's a complete web of connectivity that makes the retrieval of information that's already known more expedient. Uh, Dr. Willis described the brain as a pattern-seeking organ. So when you see something that's familiar to you, or sometimes you see something that's brand new, but your brain is looking for ways in which it com- in which it's comparable to things you already know. I don't know how many of you have uh, this difficulty, and I certainly have many, many times, where you are introduced to a new person, they tell you their name, you shake their hand, and instantly you forget about their name. This usually happens when you don't have or you're not conscious about connecting that name in one way or another to that individual. There are many tricks for you to remember that person's name when you first meet them. One of them being to repeat the name you know, shortly after learning it. But another very, very useful way to remember a person's name is to instantly try to connect that person to things that you already know. For example, uh, if the name of the person is Jennifer, you try to think of what other Jennifers do you know? Or what qualities does this person share in common with the one you already know? And you start building all these little networks of connections between one individual and the other. You will be more likely to remember that person's name later on in the day or next time you meet them. In the same way, Dr. Judy Willis was able to explain in her article that when children are taught new concepts or they're given new information in in a way that links it to other things that they already know, they perform a lot better than children that were uh, perhaps given the opportunity only to memorize or attempt to memorize a set of information. So when we learn through allegorical uh teachings, when we use that tool of allegory, we're able to not only remember things better, but for a longer period of time. As you probably know, in the in the different degrees of craft masonry, you are giving different tasks. Uh, 
And sometimes you're a spectator, a listener. In other times, you are a participant or an instructor, a teacher. And another way to create a connection that is going to cement your newly acquired information is by teaching it. If you think of uh, the storytellers of antiquity, every culture has had a, an oral tradition where information is passed from generation to generation through the tradition of storytelling. Well, these usually were stories that contain some sort of lesson and the efficiency of this method is evident in in the passing of information from one generation to the other. So tying this back to our lessons in Freemasonry, the, the teachings that contain morality and virtues is cemented in our mind once it's attached to a particular story. What better way than a story that you take part in that's the that's the power of the of the masonic degrees you are living an experience that's going to help help you remember the lessons contained therein so this is a very efficient way to to retain memory now if you go further in the original sentence or description of freemasonry that we uh, spoke of earlier the final component of it is illustrated by symbols now, symbols are very powerful, as you could have seen in the uh, Masonic history story that I told you earlier about the Masonic apron. Symbols will give you a quick jolt to your memory to remind you of a story associated with it. And you can think symbols that are very powerful. Some are very positive and some have very negative connotations. Uh, if if you can imagine now... Uh, Take a moment and imagine this symbol and think of what comes to mind as soon as you think of it. The peace sign. Some of you might have thought about the decade of the 70s. Others might have thought of um, the, the music of that era. Some of you might have thought about war. You see, the, the power of one symbol now, in Freemasonry, of course, we have the square and compasses. You're, this is a tool that now helps you remember the lessons that are taught in our craft just by simply looking at a symbol. So think of the power of one symbol. If you look at um, a, a stop sign or you look at the colors of the traffic light or if you look at a, a skull and bones, a skull and bones is a symbol that has been used for many, many years to connotate very different things. To us, it might have one, one meaning. To other people, it might have another. But in chemistry, for example, if you were to be in, if you were to be in a lab, in a chemistry lab, and you see a bottle that is labeled with a skull and bones, is completely different the image that comes to your mind than if you see it in in a Masonic book. Or if you see it on a, on a black flag on a ship. So those symbols are tied in to all these different stories in our mind. And in an instant, you are able to recall the significance of those symbols. So the efficiency of the lessons of morality and virtue um, 
that are contained within Freemasonry are veiled in allegory in a way that cements them in our memory and allows us to associate it to other to other things. And the symbols which illustrate those allegories have the power to recall those lessons in the moments in which we need them to, to be accessed uh, expediently. This brings us to the conclusion of episode four of The Winding Stairs. I thank you very much for listening and for joining me in this journey. I invite you to please visit our website, thewindingstairs.com. If you want to find the show notes in which I will be I will be including links to the news articles that we discuss, um, you can find that at thewindingstairs.com forward slash zero zero four. Now, if you if you like the show and you want to find a way to to help it uh, continue moving forward, one very good way to do so is to visit the shop section of thewindingstairs.com. If you, by clicking on thewindingstairs.com, the link on the directory that takes you to the shop section in which I have a collection of Masonic art that I have developed. Very exciting products are coming uh, in the future. I'm working on some secret projects that um, I am very excited about. And, but every, anything you purchase through the, through the thewindingstairs.com forward slash shop will help the in mitigate some of the costs that are associated with this show. I would love to to continue the show for for many years if given the opportunity. And your purchases through thewindingstairs.com also make it possible. There are many images that I have used uh, to illustrate uh, certain lessons within the different episodes of the program. You will find prints of them fine art prints on canvas, as well as the original paintings in most of the cases. Also, please stay connected with me. I invite you to join the conversation. If you have any questions or comments about the show, make sure to share your opinion through any of the social networks in which we are uh, present. For example, facebook.com forward slash Masonic Fundraiser. We are also on Twitter at WindingStairs33. Or you can send us a quick message to feedback at thewindingstairs.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening. Make sure to share this uh, program with your friends and brothers. And join me again next time as we continue our journey up the winding stairs. <laughs>